Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Mental Models Podcast. We would like you to continue to support us and uh, our efforts here and show us that uh, you do appreciate uh, the information that we share. Uh, and you can do so by buying our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias. It's available on Amazon. And, and if you do buy it, uh, what would really help us out is if you could leave a review. It's available in paperback copy and on Kindle. Both uh, are pretty good value. And we think that uh, you can really explore some of the topics that we touch on here in greater depth. Thank you very much, and we hope you continue to enjoy the Mental Models Podcast. So, Dan, I was thinking that maybe it would be a good idea for us to sit down and chat a little bit about this election cycle, and it seems like there's a lot of room here for psychological bias to come into play. Funny you mentioned bias with regard to politics. There's definitely always a <laughs> right-leaning bias or a left-leaning bias that's talked about repeatedly in the news. These days, the news cycle is full of projections about what may happen in the 2020 election. Um, there's a wide field of Democratic candidates still in play at this point, at least four or five that are potentially capable of garnering that nomination. Donald Trump is, of course, the, the going uh, presence on, on the right. And uh, I think month by month, it seems like things keep changing. The Democratic debates have been going for uh, several months now, and different winners have been declared kind of informally by the media repeatedly. I guess some of the recent news has been, uh, for a while, it was Joe Biden leading with Elizabeth Warren second, and then Elizabeth Warren seemed to surge, and now she's kind of plateaued. And Pete Buttigieg is kind of suddenly coming up as a third possibility on the Democratic side. So there's lots and lots of projection and probably a lot of bias going on. And all of this in the context of impeachment hearings. That's right. Yeah. So just to make it all even more interesting, the uncertainty surrounding how will the impeachment uh, resolve. At this point, the, um, the Senate will probably take its crack at uh, this, this process. So we're probably not looking at a full resolution of things until sometime in uh, 2020. So I'm going to take this uh, moment to put on my political prognosticator hat, and I'm going to predict that Donald Trump will serve a second term. The reason I say this, I went through a presentation this last weekend. It's interesting, his approval rating, which is not very high, it's like 44% somewhere in that neighborhood, is actually the same approval rating that uh, Obama had going into his second term. So, of course, the last election was super tight. Though Trump lost the popular vote, he managed to win enough in the Electoral College by hair just to basically make it, make it in and, and, uh, and win the election. So I've had some people suggest that, hey, it was close enough and you had the midterms, they lost seats. But that was all true when Obama uh, was going for his second term. And when you make that projection, you also think about, well, the economy is still considered very strong and joblessness is uh, very low. And yes. those are usually structural predictors of an outcome. Now, we're sort of in uncharted territory. There's never been a president in recent times like Donald Trump. And uh, the, the last election was so difficult to call. It just seemed uh, no one quite knew what had happened till it happened. And uh, so I, I feel like we're definitely in un uncharted 
territory. It seems as if elections were more predictable maybe in the past decade or so than they are now. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that, I mean, one reason the incumbent president tends to win is because the economy is so important. And as an incumbent president, you can pull certain levers to stretch it out just a little bit further. And if you think about the way this has all unfolded, uh, he has a lever that he can pull at any time, which is resolution of this trade dispute. And that's fully within his power to be able to, uh, to do. And once that happens, it's likely that you'll have increased business investment, you'll have uh, some increase in consumer confidence, and that will give a short-term boost to the economy that may be just sufficient enough to carry him through the election. Plus, there's all sorts of things that he can do with respect to government spending. The thing I've noticed is they loosened the caps on Fannie and Freddie and the amount that they could lend out. Uh, things of that nature can be somewhat stimulative uh, to the underlying economy. So I think it'll be pretty strong going into the election. And uh, if that manages to hold true uh, with the Fed being accommodative, uh, then it's going to take quite a bit for a Democratic challenger to overcome. But that's just my right. personal. And just imagining a hypothetical, uh, assuming Trump were to not uh, be removed in the impeachment hearing, which is uh, possible, uh, he would likely declare victory there and declare impunity over everything. And, and then he would have this strong economic sort of uh, presence for the election. Now, imagine another hypothetical that Elizabeth Warren were the Democratic challenger. There's probably more uncertainty there since she's had a lot of um, dramatic talk about uh, reform and regulation. And, that, and that, what do you think the effect would be there if, if she were to uh, challenge? Well, there's a lot of things that are going on there. I think first, before we even get to that point, I think that it is likely that the president will be impeached. It seems like the support for, the, uh, for impeachment is starting to wane a bit based off of the polls. It looks like there's some decline uh, in the tolerance of that. I think that he will likely hold up the fact that USMCA didn't end up getting passed, that there was a lot of things that didn't happen in this last legislative push because of uh, the distraction of having these hearings in the House. Then the Senate will hold a trial in which I'm sure they will pull witnesses that are very favorable to the president that'll point towards obstruction of the Democrats. The Republicans seem to definitely be the party of the president at this point in time to be fully aligned uh, with whatever direction it seems to be moving because their fates seem to be tied to one another. So I think that will also augur well for his success. Now, mind you, this is not what I do, and then I ha I'm probably just foolishly throwing out this predict <laughs> prediction. But it seems to me, you know, as someone who likes to try to predict the future for a living, uh, that this seems likely. Who knows how things develop? But let's entertain uh, our, our discussion on Elizabeth Warren yeah, let, and let's, what that Let's means. also put the caveat out here that George and I are trying to be honest brokers here. We're, we're not advocating for any one outcome. No, 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 and we're, no, not, no. we're just merely speculative. We're not political scientists. We are not political scientists. We're just having fun with this. And this is just based off of me being an infovore and thinking about how these things may unfold. And I'm sure other people probably have a more sophisticated view about it than I do, uh, given that it's not my typical purview. But that's how I think things are setting up. But let's say that uh, we do have an Elizabeth Warren uh, candidate that is ultimately the victor. And, you know, in these primaries, typically the most extreme, and we're seeing this as a problem perhaps in our democracy, 
they're smaller elections uh, within themselves. And usually the, you have the most radical people that tend to dominate those elections. So on the conservative side, you'll tend to have the harder core conservatives be more successful. And on the, on the liberal side, you tend to have those that are further to the left, like Elizabeth Warren, to perhaps be favorable, favored in those circumstances. Sometimes they're overcome based off of just a pragmatic assessment of electability. Maybe that's where Buttigieg may have an advantage or even Michael Bloomberg, a new entrant. When Elizabeth Warren's prospects become more likely, as, which, as they were about a month ago when she was higher off in the polls and was doing better, then you see certain sectors of the economy start to be concerned about her effect on policy. Uh, for instance, we have an investment at SaberPoint Capital Management in a company called Grand Canyon Education, which is a service company that provides a basically online and uh, admission services, basically the functioning services for a university to Grand Canyon University, which was uh, formally combined with the entity uh, as a for-profit entity. And because it's viewed largely as a for-profit educator, uh, when Elizabeth Warren comes out and says things like, well, we're going to make college essentially free for uh, anyone who goes to a state school uh, that has a, a certain, at a certain income level, well, that seems to be a real threat to for-profit educational institutions. And she's always been a very significant uh, proponent of the teachers' unions and uh, really very adverse to a lot of these for-profit educational institutions that have abused the system. Uh, now, Grand Canyon is, is perhaps the poster child of the best uh, functioning uh, institution within that group, but they're still within that group. So uh, we have seen its multiple contract pretty significantly as it looked like it was more likely that you may have a Democratic candidate that could be successful against Trump. Right. And probably Bernie Sanders would have a similar effect. Um, we know more about him because he was in the 2016 race so closely. And he's an interesting case because he actually was really an independent who ended up running for president against Hillary Clinton and gave her much more trouble than he was supposed to. And it seemed like a lot of what he was uh, advocating for were similar kinds of policies of making college more affordable or free. And that had to have an impact. And he also is polling decently well. Um, he's never been the front runner. And for some reason, I just don't, this is again, just editorializing by me. I, I can't see him getting the nomination just because usually it doesn't work out a second time. If you, somehow, if you didn't make it on your first strong run, you're, you're sort of probably not going to make it. And that's, of course, true of Hillary Clinton as well. She uh, had tried against Obama and, and didn't make it. And uh, she did eventually make it to the of course, the national election, and um, you know, we, we likely won't see her again. Um, I kind of feel like Bernie has the same um, maybe uh, challenges to that sector you just described as Elizabeth Warren would, but she seems somehow more plausible as a candidate, maybe just based on the novelty of having not done this before. Yeah, so you know, all of these various situations create fluctuations in certain stock sectors, right? Healthcare can, would definitely be uh, significantly affected. In the event of a Democratic victory, certainly one that's further to the left, like a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren. Also, a lot of these publicly traded private equity companies, those would likely be significantly affected uh, because of a more adversarial policy regime that would likely come into place. 
So the interesting dynamics here from an investment perspective is that uh, as you get closer to the election and there is uncertainty about who may win, a lot of these things end up getting priced in. And in some cases, like for instance, I believe Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon currently trades at about 14 and a half times next year's earnings. During the Obama administration, when we initially invested in Grand Canyon, it was trading at 14 times next year's, uh, the, the following year's earnings. And it was growing much more slowly and it did not have free cash flow at the time because it was consolidated with it, the campus. Uh, and since then, they've separated that with the campus being a not-for-profit and then the service company being a for-profit institution. Uh, so arguably, the business is much better than today than it uh, was at the time. And uh, at the same point in time, it's trading at just half of a turn multiple richer than it was uh, back in 2016. So the question arises about you know, how much of this adverse outcome is actually priced in. When Obama was president, clearly he was president, uh, looked like Hillary had a pretty good chance of winning at the time. So now if that multiple for Grand Canyon is only half a turn higher than it was at that time, uh, it would seem to suggest that a negative outcome is almost fully priced in uh, for the stock in the election. Now, maybe an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders would be much more harsh than Obama was uh, toward the for-profit segment of the economy, just given their predisposition. But uh, what it leaves the opportunity on an asymmetric outcome would be if uh, Donald Trump actually was successful again, uh, and you continued to have a much more favorable disposition towards for-profit entities under a, a second term of uh, Donald Trump being in office, and then we would see multiple expansion across all for-profit education. So I think, you know, as we look at various industries that are being affected by uh, pricing in potential outcomes, there may be asymmetric bets that you could make going one way or the other uh, that either A, there's not any appreciation of how drastic policy could change, in which, you, in, in which case you may want to go short because there is some possibility of a democratic victory, or a counter view would be that you go long because it seems like it's already been priced into the stock uh, that you would have this negative outcome. Yeah, and I, I guess one thing that occurs to me as you t say that, I, I always feel like the perception of the candidate is different than what would actually come to pass. So I remember when Bernie Sanders was uh, surging um, in the Democratic nomination process for 2016, and a really astute commentator had said he, he seemed to be running on um, kind of an idealized version of the world as if, as if so much change could be made. And uh, the challenge Bernie Sanders had is that he was run running in the actual world, right, where you couldn't change things that dramatically. And I always feel like when someone makes a really big call for enormous change, the, the realities of getting that, you know, through Congress and, and really making a difference, if you think about how long any sort of health care reform actually takes, it always feels to me like the, 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 the rhetoric, and again, you described earlier that, that the most of uh, sort of bold voices often tend to, to lead in polls. Um, actually getting things done later is much tougher, as we know, with a politically gridlocked system as we have. 
So uh, that just just to throw that out there, it just feels as if maybe there's always a difference between the rhetoric of a, an election and what will come to pass once the candidate's actually in power. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And, and we can go and revisit this next time and see if I was actually right about uh, my prediction of a second term of Donald Trump. We've got a long way to go from then until now. Yeah, there's almost a full year. So yeah. lots and lots of things could happen. And uh, we, we will uh, probably revisit this topic multiple more times in the, in the coming year uh, and look forward to seeing how these uh, events unfold. Yeah, but uh, I do think it's going to be interesting one way or the other. Uh, and we'll also try to highlight different movement that we see in the stock market for various issues that may be affected and really hear what we're looking for to some degree is recency bias. Gosh, yes. Availability bias and recency bias are all over this because the news is, uh, especially during um, the past couple of years, the, the political news cycle is so short-lived. It's like from week to week, the headlines change. Yeah. So I guess my one call out here on this one, I think that is interesting, is Grand Canyon University. Um, and we'll, we'll pick that up too and see if uh, the recent pressure, now it has other things that are going on as well. But if you look across the for-profit education space, all those stocks seem to have come under pressure. There could be another explanation for that in that when you get late in the cycle, uh, unemployment rates tend to drop, which means that there's probably fewer people that are going back to school to improve their higher ability uh, because jobs are plentiful. Uh, so at the same point in time, you have this other trend that is running, which is another argument or reason why people may be selling some of these stocks down. Yeah, and I guess from where we stand right now, I'll make the somewhat less bold prediction that Pete Buttigieg is our leading candidate for the, uh, the Democratic nomination. I don't know if that'll come to pass, but uh, it seems like things are headed that direction. So we, we will mark this as the prediction number one. And Look forward to a future episode yeah. when we've proved utterly wrong and we have a totally different idea. This is our opportunity to look foolish. <laughs> yes, this has been uh, politics, investing, and uh, behavioral bias. So uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you next time. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dana George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.